Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. We have the miracle of social media to thank for our latest episode of Soundtracking. After I reached out to the one and only Alan Silvestri on Instagram, and gentleman that he is, he very kindly invited me to meet up with him on a recent visit to London. Alan is responsible for some of Hollywood's most memorable scores and themes from Back to the Future and Forrest Gump to Castaway and the Avengers. In recent times, his long-standing relationship with Robert Zemeckis is perhaps only matched by that of Steven Spielberg and John Williams. As if that weren't enough, he also wrote most of the music for the classic TV show Chips. Thank you so much. The power of social media by just dropping you a note and you yeah. very kindly said, yeah, come on down. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's so great to do this. It's fantastic. And to meet you in person and talk on the phone. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Can I, I'm just going to yeah, move yeah, that a little sure. bit there. We've, ha- we've had the pleasure of having some people that you've worked with on the, the mm-hmm. show already. Um, Mr. Zemeckis, oh, I had some time with, yeah. and the Russo brothers recently as well. Good for you. And your ears must have been burning, oh, let me that's, say. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, but do you mind if we go back a bit? Sure. Because what's been wonderful about making this podcast, so much of your music is featured mm-hmm. on this show through very a lot of people, Nancy Myers as mm-hmm. well, who's been on the show. Yeah. But what was the... What was the inspiration for you to want to marry your music to picture? Well, I would have to say that I really needed a job. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's a quote, I believe it's, it's connected to Hoagie Carmichael. Um, I'm pretty sure that's who it was back in the day. And someone said, where do you get your inspiration from? And he said, the phone ringing. So that's not all of it. Of course. Absolutely. But the reason for putting it that way is I had never thought about film scoring. I was in L.A. I was struggling, just trying to stay alive, Mm. working 
playing, giving lessons, anything I could do. And this out of nowhere opportunity came and I did it. And the movie was a small movie, but it made some money. And now I'm a film composer. And so then another one of these films came my way. And little by little, um, there started to be the beginnings of this thing that looked like a path. And it was a film composer's path. Yeah. And then, you know, things just kind of went along. And here we are. Friendships and relationships can be a massive thing that lead on to things. And you've this relationship that you've had through your work, but personally with with Robert Zemeckis has been extraordinary. And for us as film fans, this relationship and what you work on together has Mm -hmm. been amazing. How did that start? Where did it start? Well, that's, you know, a fantastic story. I had been out of work for over a year. You know, I had done that Chips show for four years, I think, and then it went away completely. And I had been out of work for over a year. Um, Sandra and I had our first child. Life was starting to look bleak again. And I got a call on a Friday night. Um, I love that you remember the day of the week. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it was from Tom Carlin. Tom was the music editor on this movie called Romancing the Stone. So he said, I'm working on this film. There are these guys here. They've been listening to music. They're just not finding anything um, that that's, they're sparking to. Would you be willing to try something? I said, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. let me check my book. Right? <laughs> so he says, let me put, I'm going to put someone on the phone. And this guy gets on the phone and he says, yeah, Al, this is Bob. So, you know, I got this movie. This guy and this girl are running through uh, the jungle. Federales are shooting at him. It's raining. It's, it's like a big action thing. And, you know, could you do like three minutes of that and come in tomorrow morning? So, you know, I had learned by this time that the answer is always yes, yes. sir. So I said yes, and I had just started to put a little home studio together, mm. the original Lindrum, the original DX7, Yamaha DX7, uh, and I had a little multi-track tape machine, no mixing console, mm. no reverb, no outboard gear. So I started to put this track together based on what he had described it was ultimately the gorge cue in romancing the stone
And what's in the movie is pretty much what I did. Wow. Stayed up all night. Because I didn't have a mixing console, when it came time to mix to my little cassette, I did it by adding longer wire <laughs> from things I wanted to be softer <laughs> and kind of got through this. And then I went into the meeting the next morning. Tom took the cassette from me to play for himself to make sure he wasn't going to make a fool of himself. Mm -hmm. um, walking into Mr. Zemeckis and Don Camburn, who, who was his editor, and he said, oh, wait here. And he went and got this man, these two men, uh, Robert Zemeckis and Don Camburn. And, you know, the great omen was when Bob walked in, he was wearing the same sweater I was wearing. We were no. wearing our Calvin Klein sweaters. <laughs> and we kind of looked at each other like, oh, what's going on here? So we played him the, the cassette. He was lovely. He said, thank you so much for doing this. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot where we're dealing, you yeah. know, but we'll, we'll talk to you. And I went home. And so that was Saturday and didn't hear anything. Uh, Sunday afternoon, the phone rings. Sandra answers and she, she, her coloring changes very quickly. <laughs> And uh, I just add that Sandra is sat here yes, as well, so yes. I can see her nodding. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. So Sandra, it's just like there's a little coloration change. It's like, are we okay, hon? What's you know? Is there's been some bad news? And she puts her hand over the mouthpiece and she says, "It's Michael Douglas." Oh my and god! So I say hello, and it's Michael Douglas, and we start to talk about all of this and. And he was great. And uh, he, uh, he said, well, look, just send me, you know, anything you have, tapes and all that. Mm -hmm. And we'll go from there. And, and the call ends. And immediately when the call ended, I knew I had made a mistake because I had not found a way to meet him and be with him in person. Mm -hmm. And so I, I immediately called Tom back. And I said, I need to talk to Michael right away. And he said, I can't give you Michael's private number. He said, let me see if I can reach him and ask him to call you mm -hmm. back. So like 10 minutes later, the phone rings and it's, it's Michael Douglas. And he, <laughs> says, yeah, he says, hey, Al, so what's up? What do you, what do you, what do you want? I said, well, you know, I'm going to be in town tomorrow because I lived outside of town. Yeah. And uh, I thought, you know, I could just drop the tapes and things off in person. And he says, no, no, no. You don't have to worry about that. You know, just send the stuff over and, and that'll all be fine. Well, I said, I'm, I'm really going to be very close. And he said, well, what time are you going to be in town? I said, any time you want. <laughs> <laughs> and my recollection is that he laughed because you know yeah. he knew what yeah. you know that that this was okay yeah you know and so I went to his office and I sat there and had this amazing visit with him and I think it was very helpful in my having the opportunity ultimately to yeah. to do the movie.
So there you are. Now I've done this big studio film and it was successful, which was key. Yeah. It was Bob's, I think, Bob's first film outside of the world of Mr. Spielberg, which was very important that yeah. he make this on on his own. And Bob and I just had this amazing rapport and we've I think you know I was with him two days ago and we're talking about the witches and I think it's our 23rd film wow. together and when we were at the Museum of Modern Art they were honoring Bob and he mentioned something about us working together this long and and he said uh, yeah I think it at that point it was for the walk he said yeah it's been 22 pictures and then he went in a row you know, so he's yeah. never gone no. somewhere else, and it's it's one of the most extraordinary things I think. Other than uh, Mr. Spielberg and Mr. Williams, there yeah. there hasn't been anything quite like that. And how does it work with you now? You talk about the witches, which I'm really excited mm -hmm. about as well. And does he send you the script? At what point are you? You know, how did that relationship develop from that point on to work across this amazing collection of films? Yeah, yeah. And really different films as well. You yeah. know, that's not, it's a great thing about Mr. Zemeckis is that he's not a genre led director. And his last film, I mean, which we talked to him about, Welcome Tomorrow, in which mm -hmm. I adored, I thought it was Fantastic. extraordinary. He just, I love the surprises that he gives us as film fans. Yeah. So, how did that relationship develop in terms of where you start the project? Well, this time I'm in considerably sooner in a sense than on anything that's come before yeah. so there were scripts and i'm reading along reading revisions but this time he's actually been sharing the assembly of the film with mm -hmm. me so i actually have already half of the film he has not really even begun his editorial process mm -hmm. it's just being assembled so we are scheduled to score first week in April at Abbey Road, and we're this far in front, which is amazing. Do you and like having more time on something? Absolutely. And, and, you know, being part of his process, mm -hmm. it's fantastic. So, um, you know, that's kind of how that's gone. We've, we've been together so long, um, and I, I have to assume there's a level of trust there now after all these years and it's just there's nothing like it yeah and working with someone who he just you know you just always feel supported you yeah. can try things and you know the worst he'll say is i don't get it <laughs> which is bob's and mecca speak for it's really beautiful it's not going to be in my movie <laughs> <laughs> I love as well, you know, I talk about how he's he's such a, a versatile director, yeah. but that also then allows you as a composer to be an incredibly versatile composer. Exactly. Well, for instance, um, he is one of these incredibly knowledgeable students of film. So when we got to the end of Back to the Future 2, he showed me the, the Western...
I remember him saying, well, Al, we're going to get to do our Western now. <laughs> and then when What Lies Beneath was being prepared, he said, well, Al, we're going to get to do our Hitchcock movie now. <laughs> And so you can just tell as a student of film yeah. that he loves to go and explore the art form. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, he is not genre driven. You never know what he's going to walk in and say. And then the lovely thing about it is he doesn't pigeonhole music or composers either. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't get the guy who does westerns or girl. Or the you know the the man or woman who do tension scary movies. Mm -hmm. He calls me and he's just like, I'm going to figure it out. You can you do it. Figure it <laughs> yeah. out. But that's the thing, you know. You've you've created these amazing themes over the years. You know, you mentioned mm -hmm. Back to the Future and and more recently with with Avengers as well. But then you also have created these amazing subtleties in films as well. And Forrest Gump's one that. That I talked to Mr. Zemeckis about in particular because there is so much, so many needle drops in there exist right, in music, right. and to create a score that just nails it emotionally, but also connects all these mm -hmm. other sounds that are already there. Mm -hmm. Can't imagine that was an easy score to do, but but what you did with that was was wonderful. Thank you. That was one of those instances where theoretically it was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. A number of weeks before we were going to score. I would get a call from Bob and he'd say, I've been looking at the film now. There's going to be a lot of music, a lot of score, a lot of score. And then two weeks later, I'd get the call. I, I, I don't know if there's going to be any score. <laughs> and so we, in theory, talking about the film, were apprehensive, I could say, yeah. about spotting it and how can this possibly work.
when we finally sat together and the songs, the needle drops, were basically in there, we just watched the movie. It was probably the easiest spotting session we ever had. It was absolutely clear yeah. to both of us where score was going to be and where it wasn't going to be. And that was that. I mean, it was such a pleasant surprise to, to find that the movie... Ah, there's always this thing called the movie. You know, if we just listen to the movie, yeah. it's going to tell us everything we need to know about what we need to do. Yeah. And that's exactly how that works. So it turned out to be, we looked at each other like, that, that wasn't such a big deal. So what's the opposite of that? What was what has been the most um, with Mr. Smith in particular? I would have to say the most uniquely different would have been Castaway. sensibility until you know as the captain of our ship he'll say we're not going there <laughs> um, but this was a case where we sat we started to watch the movie and everything happens you know the whole opening of the movie the plane crash we're on the island for a long time and he sits literally right next to me closer than this right and after about an hour in i could see he's once in a while glancing over at me and at one point he 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 literally said so you're not hearing anything and i just you know i knew we could always go back and mm -hmm. i said but mm -hmm. and it turned out that until our character left the island, I just didn't hear 
any score. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, it's a movie. So you can't really say, well, we don't want to put score in because it needs to be real. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's nothing real about it. It's a movie. And there are camera angles and light and all the rest of that. But there was something about, the first of all, the magnificence of Hanks' performance. Yeah. Right? And the fact that because of that, because of Randy Tom's sound design, the closer we can get to the feeling of desolation, yeah. desperation, without shoring it up with this other layer, yeah. the better. And then, for me, a whole new change happens, a big change when he leaves the island. For me, in a sense, that's where the movie begins. Yeah. Up until then, for me, it's all set up for what now is is the heart of the movie, which is someone coming back from the dead, coming back into his world, yeah. and having to deal with the fact that he's been dead for all these years. He's a ghost in his own life, mm -hmm. and it's all gone on. So that's a good place to play music, and that's where we started. point in in your career where you go you don't need me in this part you know that's yeah, kind of yeah. that's an incredible confidence to have but also selfless place to be in terms of it's about what's best for the movie it's about what's best for the yeah story. i think bob will <laughs> he has always he's got such a nose i think for honesty yeah and i i've seen him selflessly cut things that I know he's cared about and worked so hard on for the, the benefit of the film and if he feels that I'm coming from there um, he's willing to explore it. There was a moment in Forrest Gump where um, Jenny's left yeah. and Forrest is sitting in a window seat and Bob's done this incredible long, I believe it's a push-in to him and normally that would clearly be a place for some kind of music. Yeah. And I remember watching and watching and we had a conversation about that. Like, we're not gonna, we're not hearing. And I said, you know, I, I don't know, Bob, I just feel like 
it's so powerful as you move in on him and then when you cut to him and he's putting on those shoes it's kind of like something's happened now and he was magnificent he said okay al here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna take it to preview your way oh wow and we're gonna sit with an audience and he said if we don't like what happens if the audience starts to fidget or yeah. we feel that he said i'm gonna ask you to write something for that and i said fair enough uh and then we went to the preview of course and to say that you could hear a pin drop in all that would 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 not be strong enough yeah and and i remember after it all he said all right, no music. <laughs> so he's great like yeah. that, you know. He'll, he'll, he 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 will take anything that's good for his film. Amazing collaborator. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, amazing. Polar Express is also one of my favorite mm -hmm. films and scores. I mean, my kids and I, oh, we, that's great. We, we have an annual tradition of watching yeah, the Polar fantastic. Express. It's such a great film and it yeah. stands the test of time and it's yeah. it's so great. approach animation different to real action is it a different i really don't mm -hmm. because the biggest part of any storytelling whether it's animation or live action mm -hmm. is the story yeah. and the emotional content of it that doesn't change if you don't feel as much for an animated character mm -hmm. as you do for a live action actor you're missing it somehow. Now you do in animation very often get to accompany physical action that's impossible for a human. And so it's fun to go with that. Yeah. But other than that, I really don't. I see them as the telling of a story. Yeah. Interesting news. Um, we are uh, preparing Polar Express in concert. Oh my God! Where we'll be doing that with the symphony orchestra, like we're doing Back to the Future in concert. See, this blew my mind because this is the first thing you said when you sat yeah. down. Is uh, we've been preparing Back to the Future the musical. The musical. I am there. Right. No, it's. <laughs> I think you're really going to have fun with this. Again, you know, it's Bob Gale has written the book. And Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis together have been moving us through this. Yeah. We have John Randall, a Tony Award winning um, stage director. We've got a fabulous cast. Glenn Ballard and I have written the songs. We're, oh, we've got, I think, 16 songs 
And they're all, this is all stuff no one has ever heard. And it's all Back to the Future. And it's all based on Back to the Future 1. Yeah. And so it's just a lot of fun. The themes, the themes in there, though. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're doing we're doing a, a lot of that yeah. in, the, in the traditional key places in the film, but yeah. all these songs, and you know, we're singing and dancing all through Brilliant. Back to the Future, <laughs> yeah. and it's wild and fun, and it's not spoofy. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's Back to the Future. remember about creating that theme well you know there was a there's a story that i that i mentioned now and again about my concept meeting with robert zemeckis my first concept meeting he was shooting the enchantment under the sea dance in a in a church mm -hmm. on franklin avenue in, in la and i walked in probably his busiest day on the entire shoot because of all the extras and so he's moving around and doing all this stuff and said yeah al al great great you could come visit so he said the score and then he puts both hands over his head like this and he says this it's got to be big it's got to be big end of the meeting so <laughs> see, ya. see ya. yeah go, go do that and because he had 130 people yeah. running around on the clock so I went back and and I knew 
I knew it had to be big. (laughs) There was no question about that. But it also had to be heroic. Yeah. It had to be able to uh, be there for a sense of adventure. And also, in its quiet iterations, it had to have a kind of emotional uh, sensibility um, because in the end, this is a tremendous story of friendship Mm. between Doc and Marty. I mean, it's a buddy picture of where it finally goes. So anyway, um, I have to say that theme came out very, very quickly. It was just one of those things. And, and I had, had and, and remain a tremendous fan of Mr. Williams, who taught not just the film world, but the public, um, the value of beautiful, powerful mm. themes. Yeah. And so I knew that whatever I found had to have this sense of size and scope and power uh, and yet had to be able to travel through the film in lots of different moods and iterations. about big themes I mean that Avengers <laughs> oh my god I mean it, you know that, that's a, that's notes that transcend generations my six year old his chest puffs out <laughs> you know when he hears dun, 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 yeah, that's... he's pretty much in his mind he's like I can take on the world and he can and I love that you've yeah. given him that no that's fantastic and that's what we were hoping for there in that film
started with the scene where they're in the town square. Mm -hmm. And that was very interesting because it was an iconic image mm -hmm. of Marvel. Yeah. The idea of those characters kind of shoulder to shoulder, kind of looking out as a group. Yeah. And, you know, it's the image of the diverse, powerful warriors coming together for a common purpose. fascinating part of that cinematically was we're in the midst of this giant crazy battle and all all of a sudden all of our heroes they're standing still in the middle of a town square looking off yeah just they're just <laughs> looking off into the the distance so you know the the theme was constructed to have this very broad long notes but a sense of power and then the strings are playing this kind of very quickly moving part because we didn't want to completely take our foot off the pedal. We're in the middle of a battle. All this tension is still going on. interesting collection of needs yeah. that that theme had to complement and uh, and so that's how it it came out and it's fun to uh, to see how it's been embraced and uh, oh just a note or two of it and we get it we <laughs> yeah, know exactly. where this is going and this whole um, relationship with with the Marvel started with Captain America and working with Joe Johnson but Kevin Feige has been a big part of that and I'm desperate to get him on the show because I'm a, such a fan and I think what he's done with this whole universe is, yeah, is yeah. extraordinary. And he cares a lot about music. It's a big thing for him. It is a real big thing for him. It's one of the great joys of, of working with him is that you know that about him. Mm -hmm. He listens to film scores. You know, he is, he is the biggest fan in the world of the Marvel universe. And, and so... 
everything about him is excited about all of this. And that would be a tremendous person to talk to. I mean, you can see all of the variations in the, in the history of the Marvel universe in terms of um, sensibilities, the looks, the sounds, and all of that. But there has been one through line to all of it, and that's been Kevin Feige, and he is that. Yeah. He is the, the through line and the, the conscience and the keeper of the overall vision of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's, it's him. And so you need to get, you need to have <laughs> a chance to, to talk to we him. We need to speak because, to Kevin. Yeah, you need to speak to Kevin because it would be fabulous for everyone. And always is to hear Kevin talk about. Well, I think this. we've had pretty much nearly every director from all the different Taika I'm speaking to for yeah. his next film and, and stuff. But I can't imagine how difficult it was for you, considering that the the clever thing that they've done is all these different characters individually, Captain America through the score that you wrote, but through Thor and through um, Iron Man, they all had their own sounds. Right. But you had that job of bringing that right. that world together. Right. Through right. Avengers Assemble and then through these two last films as well. Right. Yeah. It was. Um. It was a, a very interesting. Again, it was a psychological challenge. When you work on a film, very often you'll start to get the sense that it's it's not just a good film, but it could be something. One of the biggest films Yeah, and, ever. and for instance, Back to the Future, we, we, while we were making it, we all felt it was a really good film, mm. but no one could ever predict the afterlife of that film. Um, by the time we got to Avengers 1, Marvel had enjoyed a level of success where we knew that this film would be embraced by the world. And that brought a certain kind of pressure, absolutely, going in. We could, because now you feel like you're caring for something and you don't want to drop it. <laughs> or you don't want to bump into anything with this. You it's know? like cutting a newborn. Yeah, yeah. It? You just, just don't mess this up. Yeah. By the time we got to Infinity War, and certainly at Endgame, that dynamic was out of this world. Yeah. Going into Endgame, I mean, I marvel, no pun intended, yeah. with the sense that I got in all of my interaction um, from Joe and Anthony and Kevin. Yeah. These were with me. I'm not saying because I only saw them with me. Yeah. But these were three very cool cucumbers. <laughs> Wow. They were, I never saw a sign of fear in their eyes. <laughs> they were always willing to try to yeah. experiment, to be playful when yeah. it was time to be playful. I mean, it blew my mind to see how the three of them kept themselves centered and moving forward, knowing mm. what the expectation was from yeah. the world. This film had to be truly out of this world and they just kind of carried on and soldiered through and yet there was always a sense you know i always look at music you know we say mu we play music 
but you know you go into a recording studio and there's all this money being spent and all this pressure and it's like how are these folks really playing you know but they're so brilliant at yeah. what they do they're actually playing do you still get a kick when you hear your music being played by these orchestras and these yeah i do i do and it's not so much that i haven't heard what it's going to sound like yeah. because i'm really I mean, if you don't know that before it's played, there could be a big problem. <laughs> yeah. But what continues to marvel me, yeah. again, to use that word, is that it's this collection of human beings who have dedicated their life to perfecting an art form mm. to the point where they can play in the midst of this high-pressured situation and they're all there and they do something in a concerted way that's different than pretty much anything else i've ever seen done You know, we, we write music and the language of music in terms of its notation um, is a very interesting event. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the idea of, of being able to that specifically express how 95 people will act in time on end of one in bar 37 yeah. they're all gonna do that and you don't have to say a word to them it's on the paper and they all do it and now that's happening thousands of times a day it's it's mind-blowing and every once in a while i just stop to realize how magnificent that is yeah we're gonna run out of time but okay please when you come back next year Maybe we can have chapter two. Sure, absolutely. Because there's so much. That. I mean, some of the films as well that I grew up with, you know, Flight of the Navigator, yeah. The Abyss, yeah. all those films, and, and Ready Player One as well. We yeah. can maybe chat about them. I would love to. Amazing. Thank you Anytime. so much for your time. Well, thank you. And thank you for all of this great work you do, having filmmakers have a chance to speak to people. And... Are you kidding? It's, no. I'm a film fan. This is, uh, yeah. I'm living the dream. No, well, that's great. <laughs> well, we're, we're happy to have you dreaming in public. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, okay,
The Main Theme from The Abyss by Alan Silvestri, rounding off our latest episode of Soundtracking with the legendary composer. My huge thanks to Alan for taking the time to talk to us. He really is an absolutely adorable man. Hopefully, we'll get him back for part two when The Witches comes out. Now, we'll put together a Spotify playlist for the show, which you can access via edithbowman.com. My website is also the place to catch up with all of our previous shows, including my chats with Robert Zemeckis and the Russo Brothers. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And do check out our YouTube channel too, where we started putting up plenty of bonus material. Next up, Andy Machetti joins me to discuss It Chapter 2. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.